may be seated this morning. Uh, I am just amazed. One of the things that I am most amazed about um, with the Lord still, after all these years, coming to know Christ in 1984, 19-year-old sophomore at the University of Kentucky, not growing up in a Christian home, being a first-generation Christian, one of the things I'm most amazed with still today about the Lord is this, that the Lord, uh, He knows us, yet He loves us. There's not anything about us that the Lord does not know, yet He still loves us. That, that just It's almost unfathomable to me to think about that. I, I'm so limited by flesh and by an old sin nature that it's hard for me to be like that, certainly can't even begin to be like that apart from Christ. But it's just unbelievable that the Lord fully knows everyone in this room. There's not anything that he doesn't know about you. The thoughts that are racing across your mind, what you did yesterday, last night, let alone what you did 15 years ago at this exact time, what you were doing, he sees it all. There's nothing that he does not know about you. For those of you who fought on your way home uh, or on your way here this morning and you were slapping at kids and kids were screaming and hollering and you're just glad to be here and, and, uh, and ready to, to try to worship, the Lord knows all that. For those of you who fought with a kid yesterday or you fought with your spouse yesterday or you murmured something about your boss under your breath or better yet, your boss murmured something about you that you have no idea about, God knows all of that. He he knows all of that. He knows the, the deepest recesses of your heart, of your mind, everything God knows. He fully knows us. And yet he fully loves us. That just blows me absolutely away. That in my struggles, he still cares. In my sin, he still loves in my rebellion and in my stubbornness and uh, what the Old Testament prophets would say in our stiff nakedness, or not nakedness, but our stiff naked. How do you say that? Boy, that's tough. When your neck is stiff. <laughs> Stop the recording right now. <laughs> Boy, just delete that. In our inability to communicate, God still knows us, and he still loves us. That's what I'm trying to say. And so turn with me to Ephesians 6 as we continue to think about generational disciple-making. And I'm going (laughs) to... Stop it, Stevens. Matthew Stevens, stop it right now. Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. 1 through 4. I'm not a Pentecostal, and if I get to laughing, I'm not trying to lead you in some holy laughter revival, and so just know that. Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. We're going to focus on verse 4. There are really four main thoughts that Paul is conveying. The Holy Spirit wants us to understand, as he did those believers in Ephesus, So he uses the pen of the Apostle Paul to speak to the church. And there's four main thoughts he wants us to see in verse 4. 
but it's important for us to get this context. And so beginning in verse 1, so Ephesians, right, chapters 1, 2, and 3 are all about the way you believe. Uh, Chapters 4, 5, and 6, beginning in chapter 4, he says, you need to pay attention to the way you walk, right? You need to start walking in light. You're no longer walking in darkness. And then chapter 5, he begins to uh, speak to um, that behavior and how it affects us uh, as husbands and wives and as the family of God and how God sanctifies us and and works within us and, and how marriage points to the gospel and all of those wonderful things. And then in chapter 6, there's that continuation of thought you need because you're believing correctly, you're going to behave correctly. And so here is how you are to walk. And he says in chapter 6, verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. What is that promise? Verse 3, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. You may have long life and length of days is the way it is uh, properly stated in Exodus, right? That you may um, have length of days, long life and length of days. And then uh, verse 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Maybe your translation says wrath or discouragement. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We talked about the first Sunday of August about setting our hope in God from Psalm 78 and this great need of generational disciple-making. One, it is the way that we are to honor the Lord is by having children and teaching them the faith and discipling them rooting and grounding them in the faith for the glory of God, right? So that Christ might be exalted, that God might be honored and blessed, and that all peoples everywhere may come to know him. And then a couple of weeks ago, Dr. Mueller came, he preached on Deuteronomy 6, and he taught us how do we do that. He, he talked about the importance of instructing our kids, and he used three words that all began with D. He said we have to um, teach our children doctrine, right? And he said we have to discipline our children, and he said we have to be diligent about that. That means that we, we have to stay busy about that. And then last week, I used another Old Testament passage. So for three weeks, I want you to track where we're going. For three weeks, we have tried to get you to understand that this is God's principle for his people, Israel. Now his people, the church, this is God's principle for his people for all time. And we use that Joshua 24 chapter to highlight that the Lord used Joshua to call his people to faithfulness and to make a decisive stand in being a faithful follower of God. And it was just choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And we talked about how critically urgent it is that we do not forget that, that we have a responsibility to teach Deuteronomy 6, the word of God, night and day, all day long. We have this responsibility to understand that God's plan for his people is to make disciples of our own children and of our own grandchildren. 
And we need to be urgent about that. That means we need to make a decisive stance. We need to put any indifference to rest. We need to know in our mind. We need to be convinced in our heart. And then we need to go to work with our hands and with our feet and with our mouth. And we need to be making disciples of our children. It's not a half-hearted task. It's not a task that God calls us to enter into lightly. It is one of the things that he desires for us to do to bring him honor and glory is that we would share the faith, share the gospel with our children and make disciples of them. And so we come here today and we read in verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Fully known and fully loved. I want you to understand that is what God calls us to as parents. He calls us to this idea and to this wonderful pattern, um, this wonderful comparison of him using us as moms and dads, him using us as fathers, him using us as mothers to instruct our children in such a way that they begin to realize that they can be fully known and fully loved at the same time. See, the enemy wants to keep our sin hidden, and he wants to keep it in the darkness. He does not want us to be transparent about who we are, about what, how we really feel, about the things we really think about, or about how we really live our life. He wants us to try to, to live a life that is lived in a dichotomy. Over here is my church life or my Christian life, but over here is my real life. Here's my real struggle. And the Lord wants us to understand that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? That he fully knows us, and yet he fully loves us. And so making disciples of our children and grandchildren, what does that mean? Well, number one, it means this. That if we're to make disciples of our children and grandchildren, and by the way, Tracy and I found out this week, Caleb and Ruthie, they went to the doctor, we are going to have, our first grandchild is going to be a girl, right? Can you believe that? Go ahead and clap. But you need to start praying, because I don't know what to do with a girl. I'm not for sure Tracy knows what to do with a girl. Our whole life, we've had nothing but males, uh, and we, every dog we've had has been a little boy dog. I mean, we, <laughs> we just probably are not going to know what to do with a little girl. Caleb sent me a picture and said, I think she's going to need this. And it was a Khalil Mack uh, onesie. And it was all manly looking. Chicago Bears, you don't know who Khalil Mack is. He's the best linebacker in football and the best team in football. And, and, and it, it, it was a Chicago Bears manly little onesie. And so I quickly found like a little cheerleading Chicago Bears outfit, and I said, I think this is more appropriate, right? Let's, let's get this gender identity straight from the beginning, okay? And so making disciples of our children and grandchildren, what does it mean? Here's what it means. It means that parents, especially fathers, would biblically model the authority of God to our children. Parents, especially fathers, we biblically model the authority of God to our children. Fathers, he says in verse 4, Dads, do not provoke your children to anger. To anger. Paul David Tripp says one of the most foundational issues in a child's heart as he is being or she is being developed is the issue of authority. When the Holy Spirit 
encourages Paul and instructs him to use the word fathers, he's reminding us of the headship model that God has designed us with as human beings. That our gender is designed to complement one another and that together in marriage as male and female, our marriage points to the gospel and the gospel points to biblical marriage. And in that sense, when there's complementarianism that is present, the wife is complementing the husband and the husband is complementing the wife and God has brought them together in holy matrimony, there is a oneness that occurs. And so while he is primarily speaking to fathers, and that is the right way to understand this verse, he is not leaving wives and mothers out. He is saying, parents, but especially you fathers, because we want to make sure that we're modeling this whole idea of design and God's created order for us. He's saying, we want to make sure that you will biblically model the authority of God to our children. If there is a believing father in the home, the admonition is that he would take the lead in modeling and demonstrating the authority of the Godhead to his children. If there is not a godly father in the home, by all means, the godly mother should be modeling that authority to her children together, if they are together, which I pray and hope they are, if they are together, together they are to model that authority. This is not a question. Complementarianism, this oneness in Christ, a husband complimenting his wife, a wife completing or complimenting her husband, them two becoming one flesh. This is not a picture of a big man and a little woman. If that's what you've been taught to believe, you are drastically misinterpreting Genesis 2, Genesis 1, this passage, Ephesians 5. You're misinterpreting that altogether. Ladies, if your husband says, you know what, you're supposed to get in the kitchen and do that, and you're supposed to obey me, um, if, if he is so arrogant that he would say something like that, he's not in the Lord and you're not called to obey him. A woman's submission or yieldedness to her husband as in the Lord. If you understand that, say amen. Amen. I don't know that you ladies believe that. If you really understand it, say amen. 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 We can't have this Neanderthal uh, idea of what does complementarianism looks like. It's why it's rejected so much today. It is the idea as this godly husband, this godly father who knows Jesus and who's trying to lead his home appropriately and model the, the headship of uh, the Holy Trinity before his family and before his community, that he does that in a real yieldedness and submission to the Lord and to his family. There is this yieldedness. So this parenting is intended, just as our marriage points to the gospel and gospel points to marriage, this parenting is also intended to point to the law it points to the gospel's fulfillment of the law and, and the ultimate authority of God. It's vitally important that we model the proper picture of God's authority as we lead our children so that we do not provoke them to anger or wrath. And so when he uses this word, provoke, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, what he's saying is, as dads, as parents, it's very capable for us to not understand authority right, to not understand how we are ambassadors of God's authority and how we really don't have any authority on our own. And so if we don't understand that on the front end, what can happen is we can provoke our children to wrath. What that word means is that we can irritate our children or that we can exasperate our children. 
the, the imagery here that you're, you're seeing is a prodding a child to discouragement. It is like the father has this stick or uh, the mother has this stick and they're prodding their child and as they're prodding their child and they're using their authority or their position that what they're doing is they're actually irritating their child, they're actually exasperating their child, they're discouraging their child. In the, compl- uh, in the complementarian passage to this is Colossians 3.21. And uh, it just simply says in Colossians 3.21, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become, and there you got the word discouraged, right? And so this idea of provoking is irritating our children in such a way that we are discouraging them and that, that we're moving them away from a proper understanding of authority. Now, I want to say something. You just get it out there on the floor right now so y'all can hear and understand the rest of this message, not put up any doors, not put up any walls, I mean. You need to understand, every one of us as parents, we have done this. We have discouraged our children in times. We have not modeled authority to our children properly at all times. We have been guilty at one time or another of discouraging our children or prodding them or provoking them to anger or discouragement. I have done that. If you have done that, raise your hand. We all have. Kids, look around. If your mom or dad is not raising their hand, I would not do it right now, but sometime when they're in a big joking way, say, Dad, you also provoke people to wrath, don't you? Your children to wrath at times. How do we do this? Well, there are two chief ways that we oftentimes are found provoking or discouraging our children. Number one, we can discourage our children and push them away from God and toward rebellion when our punishment or expectations are unbiblical. So here's three good practical things to avoid. You can discourage your child when you give them unbiblical or extra-biblical expectations. When you start putting expectations on your children that doesn't have a foundation of Scripture behind it, of love and care and nurturing, this proper picture of authority, what you can do is you can begin to greatly discourage your kids. You can also do that by making your expectations or your punishment too severe. You can provoke your child to anger and discouragement by making your punishment too severe. I don't know how many of you have ever experienced that. I know that I have done that before. Levi and I were wrestling one time. It's when we first came here and we had thrown down a couple mattresses and we were living in the house that the fudges live in now. Man, we were going at it. And Levi is a competitor. And so he was about this tall or so. And man, he came flying off like uh, some little uh, luchador. Man, he, he bit me right on the inside of my thigh. I mean, he laid hold and he clamped down on me, man. Everybody was laughing. We were having such a big time. Caleb, Tracy, we were all laughing until he bit me. And I flung him over really quick to his backside. And I raised my hand and I swatted him pretty good on his backside. And I was about to swat him again. And Tracy said, no, 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 no. She said, you brought this up. You started this. That's enough. And, of course, Levi was looking at me like, I said, that's out of bounds. That's not good wrestling when you bite somebody on the inside of their leg. But I was about to exercise too severe of a punishment, and I was about to do it in anger and hostility. You can easily do it too severe. 
growing up, 6522 West 63rd Place, Chicago, Illinois. We'd come in. Mom would try to have dinner around 5 o'clock, 5.30. Man, one of the Shaw kids spilled their milk. Rich, Barry, Brenda, or Randy, we spilled our milk. Man, my dad would jump off jump up, he would have that belt off from around his waist, I don't know, he would have it doubled up, he'd be saying, come here boy, come here brother, and man, he'd want to swat us, right, I didn't realize then, I just thought, he is a madman, <laughs> you know, my, my one brother, Barry, he would come to the table and he'd say, no clowning around, no spilling milk, I mean, he, he ate most of his dinners just severe, right, too severe, too severe of punishment and instruction, if you understand that, say amen. You can greatly discourage and move your child to rebellion and anger. And the last thing is when it's just unreasonable. What does that mean? It, it's not only too severe. It's not only unbiblical. The expectation just cannot be met. If you have an expectation of perfection for your child, you need to get over it because you're not perfect. And when you expect your child to be perfect, you are putting a weight on them that they cannot possibly carry. How many of you realize today, moms and dads, if we're going to disciple our children, we have to realize that discipleship is messy. It's just messy. Our kids, some days they're going to hit home runs, and other days they're going to strike out just like we do in the Christian life. But the fact is, just as we are the Lord's, and he fully knows us, and he fully loves us, we have to fully know our kids, and we have to fully love our kids. If you've got it, say, I got it. Also, when we are excited or angry as we punish our children, if you are angry, this is the second way, right? So we can discourage our children and push them away with uh, to rebellion as we are unbiblical or severe or unreasonable in what we think of them and the way we carry out punishment. But the second way is when we just are either excited about punishing our children or angry. If you punish your child when he or she is angry, he or she feels like uh, that it's okay for them to become angry. And what you're doing is not demonstrating the authority of the Lord, but what you're demonstrating is this. The angriest, strongest person is the person in authority. Now, I want to say something to you. Did you hear what I said? When you demonstrate punishment, when you execute punishment, you're trying to disciple your child, and you do that in anger, what you're demonstrating is that the angriest, strongest person is the person of authority. Now watch this. That's the way the world looks at authority. Are y'all tracking with me today? That, that's the way the world looks at authority. The biggest, the strongest, the angriest, the, the loudest, that person is the person of authority. But that is not what God is leading us to. It's certainly not what the Holy Spirit is, is using Paul to advocate here. So what is it? I want to give you just some real practical things here. And so how is it that we are to help teach and model the protective beauty of authority to our children? And so let me give you seven things. Number one, we need to understand we have no authority, no authority apart from the authority of Christ. We are all sinners, we are all human beings, and we all fall short daily. And so the authority that we have does not come in the fact that we are a husband or a wife or that we're a mom or that we're a dad. 
the authority that we have, if we're going to model biblical authority, is found in Christ, and it's found in the Lord. And so it's really important that we acknowledge that, that we have this ambassadorial authority given to us from the Lord that we are to display and that we are to model for our children. Here's the second thing. We not only need to acknowledge that this ambassadorial authority is given to us from the Lord to model, but that we best exercise this authority. And as we're doing that, listen to what I'm about to say, as we're exercising biblical authority and representing Christ to our children, and we're helping to disciple them by disciplining them and instructing them, here is what he's trying to say is, He's trying to help us to understand that that is gospel work. Now watch this. In Southern Baptist life, we have been trained that disciple-making and evangelism is going house to house, knocking on a door, and passing out a gospel tract and saying to someone, can I talk to you about Jesus? And while that is doing gospel work, it is not the only gospel work that is to be done. There is gospel work that is to be done inside our homes with our children. And as we are leading our children to be disciplined and we're modeling the biblical authority to our kids, we are doing gospel work. So every teenager in this place, every student, every adult child in this place whose mom and dad are still living, you need to understand this. That your parents, as they seek to lead you and instruct you and model biblical authority to you, they are investing the gospel in your life. They're not just doing this because they're ogres. They're not just doing it because they're mean. They're not just doing it trying to hamper your style. They're doing it because they love you and they have to model that love and authority of the Lord to you. If parents, if you agree with that, will you give the Lord a hand right now for that? Listen to this, church family. Listen. We too many times say gospel work is must be preaching sermons or teaching a Sunday school class or going to meet somebody at a coffee shop and sitting down and saying, hey, let me walk you through the Sermon on the Mount. Hey, moms and dads, how about sitting down with your kids and walking them through Ephesians chapter 4 and say, here's the difference in light and darkness and here's why God's calling us to live in light and this is what I want to encourage you to do and help you to do. Are they not both equally disciple-making tasks? If they are, say amen. My fear is that we have a whole group of people who are trying to put gospel notches on their belt with somebody out in the community that they just met and they're trying to make a disciple and I want to encourage you, go ahead and do that. But if you're unwilling to do that with your children, you're unwilling to do it with your wife, you're unwilling to do it with your husband, you're unwilling to do it with your mom and dad, you're just a hypocrite. I mean, the very people that God has put in your life that you're supposed to have the most influence and most love for, you're rejecting them for the sake of some church program. Are y'all tracking with me? We have to get this right if we are going to be making disciples of our children and the next generation. Here's the third practical thing. Helping our kids understand why they do what they do is vitally important and you're being used of the Lord to make a disciple. And so we just, we just do that all the time, right? Helping your kid think, why did you say that? Why did you do that? What's on your thought? 
what's on your mind. Why do you carry out what you're carrying out the way you do? And so God wants us to help our kids understand why they do what they do. And by the way, most problems that we encounter are due to our sin nature. If y'all understand that, say amen. So helping one another see our true sin nature is doing really gospel disciple making. Establishing authority, here's the fourth principle, establishing authority early in a child's life is discipling your child. You need to be doing that in infancy. You do not need to wait until that child is 7, 8, 10, 12, 13, 14 years old. What does that mean? You're setting patterns. You're setting expectations. You're setting, you're setting routines. You're helping them understand truth. And you're establishing that authority early in a child's life. And that is part of how you make a disciple of your child. Can I say this? If I can say it, uh, go ahead and say, preach it, Pastor. You didn't, you didn't really unleash the beast. Say, preach it, Pastor. Your children are going to really struggle being a disciple of Christ if you are unwilling, if you are unwilling to teach them a structured, disciplined understanding and routine of the Lord from an early age. They are just going to struggle at being that disciple. Does that mean, preacher, that it's, there, there's a point that it's too late to begin? Absolutely. It's never too late to begin. It's just best if we start early in a child's life. What does that mean? It means this. When you say to your child, um, listen, tonight at supper, our neighbors are coming over. And what I don't want you doing is talking about something that we talk about when nobody's here. A sight, a smell, a noise. Are y'all tracking with me? Are y'all tracking with me? Right? So, you know, when nobody's present, we may say something and it's fine. But we got so-and-so's coming over and so we're going to avoid doing that tonight. And I mean as soon as your neighbors get in there, there's funny noises that start. And there's laughter that begins. And then the next thing you know, they're running through the house laughing, screaming, hollering, carrying on. I want to say something to you, parents. That is not funny and cute. You set an expectation that was a clear, inbound expectation. Then you let them run roughshod over that expectation. And if you do nothing about that, they're going to say, this ambassadorial authority of the Lord really doesn't matter. The word, watch this, the word says this, but the consequence never comes. Now, how many of you as adults know that there's always a consequence to disobedience? It may catch you later rather than sooner, but there's always a consequence to sin. How many of you realize that? So we have to be consistent. Here's the next one. I'm taking too much time. Exercising this ambassadorial authority consistently is making a disciple of your kid, so you can't just do it one time and not do it to other. Doing, doing that consistently before your kid, exercising this authority, talking them about Jesus, helping them to understand why God has placed you 
in their lives and why you are expecting that particular outcome from them and how that's going to help them understand God's love more, God's authority more, the gospel more. All of that is vitally important that we do it consistently. Here is the sixth thing. Talking about the cross of Jesus, talking about sin and deliverance as you exercise authority is how you make disciples. Don't, don't skip that part of helping your kids understand this whole issue of authority. We want to model the authority of God to our children, and the way that we want to do that is by talking to them about sin, talking to them about Jesus, about how he paid for our sin debt on the cross, and you can do all of that as you exercise authority. And then last but not least, listen to this. This may be the best one. You have to confess your sin to your children, and to the Lord. And you have to be able to help them understand that when it comes to authority, that you're more like your child than you are like the Lord. And that we all need the grace of God in making disciples and being the disciples that we need to be. I'm far more like Jacob and Kerr than I am Jesus. I'm, I'm far more like them than I am Jesus. Isn't that true of you? Gerald, aren't you far more like Derek than you are Jesus? When, when Justin was knee high, weren't you far more like Justin than you ever were Jesus? Are y'all tracking with me, moms and dads? Helping your kids understand that, that there's an authority issue here, and I know you're struggling with that. And the reason I know you're struggling with this authority issue is because I have this same authority issue with my Heavenly Father. Are, are you tracking with me? Let me tell you what that's going to do. It's not going to put you in opposition to your child. It's going to put you on the same team running hard after Jesus, and that is the objective, right? And so, number one, parents, especially fathers, will biblically model the authority of God to our children. Here's number two. Parents, especially fathers, will make the development of their children their responsibility and priority. Responsibility and priority. Dads, moms, we just got to be there. We can't check out. You can be there and not be there. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You can be in the house. You can be at dinner. But you're, you're not necessarily, necessarily there. Or you can just be sort of an absentee Mom or dad, you're just not there. This idea of bringing them up, but bring them up. Dads, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up. This phrase, bring them up, bring them up, speaks to the parents' role of developing our children into disciples of the Lord. Track with me here. This same word is used in Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for, here's the same word, building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. We disciple our kids as we help them develop in character and principle. And so we have to take this as our own personal responsibility that we are called by the Lord to develop our children and to help them become responsible, to help them have character, and we have to take this and own this as our responsibility and priority. And so how is it that in this context, here in Ephesians 6, 4, and then in Ephesians 4, 29, 
How is the context used? Well, this context is used as it relates to speech. And so let me give you a couple of ways that you can help develop, help develop this character in your kids that God wants us to lead them in, right? To, to build them up, to help develop them. We develop our children to avoid corrupt and foolish talk. To avoid corrupt and foolish talk. He just says that plainly in verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. But we develop our children um, to use edifying speech as is good for building up, is what the passage says. So we are developing character and principle in our kids by leading them to avoid corrupt and foolish talk and by encouraging them to use edifying speech as is good for building up. Now, moms and dads, that's as plain and straight and simple as it can be, isn't it? We're, we're not letting our children use ugly words that tear down and pull down. We, we're not talking about people. We're not talking about our neighbors. We're not talking about friends. We're not ripping them apart. We're not judging them. But what we're doing is we are encouraging them and building them up by saying we are not going to tear down, but we're going to build up. We're going to avoid corrupt and foolish talk. And then we develop our children to use appropriate speech. That means appropriate speech means that speech that fits the occasion, as is good for building up, as it fits the occasion. So what does it mean? It means that there are appropriate speech at appropriate times. There's inappropriate speech at inappropriate times. And what we're doing is we're being used of the Lord to disciple our children so that they can grow in character and principle. We help them to understand what is appropriate and what's not, what fits the occasion, and what does not fit the occasion. We had the privilege of having Dr. Moeller here a couple of weeks ago, and I can remember the first time that we went to eat with them at Sulphur Well, and the whole table was surrounded, so we had Caleb and Kerr and Levi and Jacob there, and uh, Tracy and Mary and Dr. Moeller and myself, and I just said, now boys, here are some subjects that are perfectly fine to talk about tonight, and here are some subjects that are not perfectly fine to talk about tonight, Right? Daddy sometimes belly so big he looks pregnant. <laughs> Inappropriate. Somebody say amen, right? We we worked with them on that. Why? Because part of helping your kids become a disciple of Christ is not only helping them to understand the law but helping them to understand that Jesus fulfills the law, and when Jesus is Lord of your life, not just a ticket to heaven, but when Jesus is Lord of your life, there is character and principle that he will bring into your life that we have to exercise. And by the way, guys, listen to me, parents. Teaching the Lordship of Christ is imperative to making disciples. If all you want to do is spare yourself the thought that your child may die lost and spend eternity in hell and you can't bear that thought and so you want them to be saved because you cannot bear the thought of them being in hell rather than I want my kid to be saved because there is no one like Jesus. See, Caleb and Ruthie and that little girl, 
Jacob and Kerr and Levi, they just think that mom and dad love them. Oh, when they are in the presence of the Lord and they see the banquet that he has laid before them, when they look not through eyes of flesh, but when they look at him through eyes of faith, eyes that have been glorified, sanctified, justified, then they will see Jesus high and lifted up and say, there's no one like Jesus. I need to go and get with Jesus. Listen to me. Teach the lordship of Christ. If you understand it, say amen. So we, we teach this character and principle in the development of our kids as it fits the occasion we develop our children to use kind, considerate, grace-filled speech. But here's the third thing. So parents, especially fathers, will make the development of our children their responsibility and priority. We're developing them by helping them understand Here's the third thing. Parents, especially fathers, will lead their children in a disciplined path of, a disciplined path of instruction and learning. What does that mean? It, it simply means this. There's two practical implications here. Moms and dads, we must model a life that continually instructs. And moms and dads, we must model a life that continually learns. I love when you guys talk to Tracy and I about what's the best, but what's the best time of parenting. Some of y'all who've been with us since 2013 uh, or 2003, not 2013, since 2003, some of y'all will say, we've watched them boys grow up. What's the best part? What was the best age? And I honestly can say every age is getting better. It's getting different. In some ways, learning how to interact with my child as an adult rather than a child is tremendously hard and difficult. But here's the thing, I am learning that you never stop instructing. The ways you instruct may be different, right? The ways you teach may be different. The ways you listen may be different. But dads, are you out there, dads? Listen, we must model a life that continually instructs. And our instruction's only going to have integrity and validity as we model a life that continually learns. A life that just continually learns. Men, you should be readers, readers, readers. I have a confession to you. I was not grown up reading, man. My mom and dad, they, they pitched me comic books. And so when I got to college and I was expected to read eight chapters before Wednesday when I got to seminary and I was expected to read... All this stuff, it was a real challenge. I talked to Dr. Muller not too long ago. I said, do you remember one of the things I asked Thornberry? And he said, what? And I said, well, I said, if I could read the first couple pages, the middle couple pages, the end couple pages, could I check the box that I read the chapter? I just, not a, this great, avid reader of large novels. But I want to say something to you. Just because it's hard does not mean that it's not profitable, it's extremely profitable, and read in a way that you're going to be able to read it. If there's one good thing about the internet, you have access to more articles, to more things that are three and four pages long that have a real specific topic to it that, man, you can just give yourself to and you can read and take in and ponder over it. You can give yourself to the Word of God and not think, 
I got to get from Genesis to Revelation in 12 months, but you can just say, you know, this year I'm going to pour over the book of Ephesians. There's six chapters of it, and I hope that I can start in Ephesians 1 1 and get to Ephesians 6 24 in this next 12 months and understand what I've read. And you know what? God will be incredibly honored in that, but give yourself to continual learning. At what point we say, I've learned all that I can learn. We're putting a lid or a cap on the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives. How many of you realize, men, no matter how old you get, we need to be teachable? If you realize that, raise your hand high. We just really, really do. We need to set the pace for our family with that. So parents, especially fathers, will lead their children in a disciplined path of instructional and instruction and learning. We're continually instructing and we're continually learning. And then last but not least, write this down. Number four, parents, especially fathers, will biblically model the love of God to our children. When he says, of the Lord, that is tied to this idea of discipline and instruction. What are we going to, what kind of discipline path are we leading them in? We're leading them in the path of discipline and instruction of the Lord, of the Lord. Romans says this, God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We are to model not just authority. We are not just to um, model instruction and learning. Not just um, making the development of our children a real priority of our lives, being there and doing it well. But most importantly, parents, dads, we need to biblically model the love of God to our children. Yesterday, Jacob and I were out mowing yards. Levi's gone. We got a bunch of yards to mow. And, uh, man, I was despising it and he was despising it. And we got done with a couple of yards and I had a sorry attitude and I think he was following suit. He said something, and I just said, what in the world? Where did you get that? Right? I said something like that. Don't worry, I'm not going to give all the details. I'm just... I said something like, where did that... What? What are you thinking of? Right? What are you doing? What are you thinking? Where did that come from? And later, I realized that was way too severe. Right? So I had to say to Jacob... Jacob, I, I just need you to forgive me for that because I just, I, I didn't properly demonstrate the love of the Lord to you and I want you to know I, I love you. Listen to me, dads. It is vitally important that as your children move from children into adolescence, into preteen, teenage years, dads, it's important that you are wrestling with your sons that you are hugging your daughters, that you are talking to them about God's plan for them. Listen to me, you dads of daughters. I think this is why God did not give me any daughters, but maybe give me a granddaughter. Your daughter should never desire the affirmation of another man because she is finding her affirmation in her father and in her Lord. Don't be pawning off, moms, on your daughter 
what your parents failed to give you. Don't be trying to hook your little girl up at three years old with that little other toddler that's in the nursery and saying, aren't they a cute couple? They're boyfriend and girlfriend. When they're eight, we're going to take them to Dairy Queen and feed them ice cream. When they're 16, they're going to get to go themselves. I know y'all are thinking I'm preaching lost. I, can I just say this? I was 16, I was lost, and when I went to eat ice cream with a girl, I know why I was doing that. Enough said? How many of you men are with me? All you men, go like this. Look at all these heads shaking. All these men know what I'm talking about, right? What are you saying, Pastor? Listen to what I'm saying. Love your child in sound, in speech, in touch, in thought, in prayer, in discussion, in authority. Help them to know you're going to blow it. And it's really okay because dad blows it and mom blows it and we find forgiveness and mercy and grace and the only one that has not blown it. And his name is Jesus. Gracious, loving parenting that makes disciples does not look the other way at sin or rebellion. That would be unloving. Gracious parenting sees sin, deals with it, points to Jesus, showing love and affection anyway. In so doing, we remind ourselves and our kids that we are a pale reflection of the fact that in Christ we are both fully known and fully loved. David Prince, Ashland Avenue Baptist Church. Think about this with me. Moms and dads, as you make disciples of your kids, God fully knows us. And yet he fully loves us. He never affirms our sin. He will judge it and allow there to be consequences. So that in our sin, the breaking of the law, we will realize that we cannot keep this standard apart from Jesus. And he wants us to run, run to Jesus. So today, will you stand to your feet? Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. How many of you right now would hold a hand unashamedly high and say, I realize that God fully knows me, and I know, realize that God fully loves me just as I am. Will you hold your hand high? Now listen. Go talk about that with your kids. I have set the ball on a tee. The Lord has given us a conversation starter. Go make disciple of your children. Do it at lunch. Do it at supper. Do it before bed. Do it in the morning. Just, just do it. And do it for the honor and glory of the Lord.